0: Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Pastor Marvin. Well, good morning. Good morning. morning. It's great to see you this morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. And I thank you, Pastor Marvin. The service here is unbelievable. Uh, I pastor our Belmont location, Mount Hope's Belmont location. My wife, Lori, and I have been there for about six years. Uh, Before that, my wife grew up here at the church in Burlington at Mount Hope. I walked into this room, I was thinking this morning, I walked into this room about 19 years ago for the very first time. And it is wonderful to be back in this space this morning. It has been, we used to be in this rotation where every couple of months, Pastor Rick would go and preach in, in Belmont. And I would come here and preach in Burlington. And like so many other things in our lives, that got all disrupted last year. So it's been about 18 months, it's been about a year and a half since I've been here. Lori and I have been here on a Sunday morning, and so it is a real blessing uh, to be here. And some of you, I'm just meeting for the very first time. It's wonderful to meet you. Others of you, you're sitting in the exact same seat you were sitting in 19 years ago <laughs> when I walked in the door, and it's good to see you again. I walk back in here, and I don't know what's happening. The Sandovals and Libby's have adults for kids, and it makes me feel super old, and it, but it's great to see. Great to see everyone here this morning. We're going to open up God's Word together, and we are going to be in Luke chapter 7. So if you brought your Bible with you, you can open up your Bible to Luke chapter 7. And uh, if you grab one of these black Bibles that are under the chairs, we're going to be on page 683 in just a moment. So you can begin to turn there. And while you're finding that, you're opening up your app, you're opening up the Bible, I have a question for you, question for you this morning. When is the last time you saw someone's faith and it just amazed you? When's the last time you saw amazing faith in someone else? I don't know about you, but almost every time I hear one of our global outreach partners like Nick, who was just up here sharing about what God's put on their heart and in their life, I, I have that sense where I look and I say, wow, that is amazing faith to leave everything and where you are and successful work and successful ministry and put it all aside and travel to the place where God has called you to be. Lori and I live just next to be- Burlington High School here in town. I have the kind of faith that allowed me to travel about 90 seconds. Very sl- that's me driving slowly this morning to be with you. But here are these people that have the kind of faith that they'll move across the world when God tells them to go. You remember a couple years ago, if you were with us, we had this woman named Ann who came and told her story. And Ann and her husband, Stan, he was a police officer in San Diego, California. If I lived in San Diego, California, I would never leave. But there's Stan living in San Diego, California, police officer, and God speaks to him and his wife and tells them to move to the Middle East, to Turkey, to do ministry. And they pack up everything and they move to, the, to Turkey. And they live in that country and they love the people. And while they're there, Stan uh, is diagnosed with cancer. And everyone tells him to leave and come back to the United States. And God tells him to stay. And he stayed and in Stan's own words, he said, God has called me to stay in this place and to die out loud so that those who don't know what it is to have hope in Jesus Christ can see what it looks like. And just a couple of years ago, Ann stood on the stage here in Burlington and she stood on the stage in Belmont and she told that story. And I looked at that and I said to myself, wow, that's amazing faith. What about you? When's the last time you looked at someone? It could be the person that's sitting next to you in this room. There are people in this room that I would say have amazing faith that have trusted God for big things and have done things and left jobs and started new things because God called you to do it. And there are young people in our church with some pretty amazing faith. You're standing up for your beliefs and what God's called you to in your middle school and high school and college campuses. Who do you look at? Who do you point to and say to yourself, wow, that is amazing faith. This morning I'm going to ask you to consider something else. This morning I want us to think about not just what kind of faith do I find amazing. And not just what kind of faith do you find amazing. But what is the faith that God finds amazing. We're going to look at a story here in just a moment in which someone displays faith that Jesus Christ himself is amazed by. And we're gonna see that sometimes the things that you and I are amazed by are a little bit different than the faith that Jesus Christ or that God Himself is amazed by. And so we're gonna look at this together and ask ourselves the question what is the kind of faith that God is amazed by? One of the things we know through Scripture, and we could go to a place like Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, is that God calls us to be people of faith. In fact, the text says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. the author of Hebrews says in Luke, uh, or the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse six: "Without faith, it's impossible to please God." So, if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, and I want to live a life that's pleasing to God, we have to ask ourselves this question: not only what is the faith that I find impressive, and what is the faith that you find impressive, but most importantly, what is the kind of faith? What does it look like? that God is amazed by. If you've been with us over the last few months at Mount Hope, you know that we have kind of parked ourselves in the Gospel of Luke. There's four books in the New Testament that talk about the ministry and life of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke together. And we started actually in the Advent season before Christmas, and now here we are a few months later, still walking through this book and learning from what Jesus said and learning from what Jesus did. And last week, if you were with us in Belmont or you were online, you know we started a new sermon series. If you were in person here last week, then you had the great privilege of hearing uh, the former senior pastor of Mount Hope, uh, Pastor Bob Crosby, preached in this place last week. Those of you who are here, I'm a little bit envious. I wish I could have seen that as well. But we started this new sermon series that we're calling Good Dirt. So for those of you who were here in person last week, let me just take a moment and let's all catch up and get on. On the same page together. This new sermon series, we're going to spend time in Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8. And we're really going to anchor our, our sermons, our discussions, in a story, in a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 8. It's starting in verse 4. Jesus tells the parable, it's sometimes known as the parable of the sower, sometimes known as the parable of the soils. If you grew up in Sunday school, my guess is you saw this on a flannel graph at some point in your life. But if you're not familiar with this story, let me tell you quickly exactly what Jesus said. Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he tells them this story. He said there was a man who was a sower, a farmer, a planter, and he had his bag of seeds slung over his shoulder and he was reaching in the bag and he was throwing seed getting his fields ready. And some of the seed, it fell on the path and birds ate it up right away, Jesus says. And some of the seed fell in rocky soil and it sprung up quickly, but the rocks didn't allow it to grow roots deep. And so it withered and died fairly quickly. Some of the soil fell in good dirt, but uh, thorns and thistles were allowed to grow up alongside of it, like the crabgrass that's all over my front yard for some reason right now. Thorns and thistles were allowed to grow up alongside of it. And eventually it choked out the life of that good plant. And then some of the seed, Jesus Jesus says, falls into good soil and grows up and yields fruit. A hundredfold, the text says. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says this is what the parable means. The seed is the word of God. And the seed is spread. Every time you hear this word preached, every time you open up this word, the seed is being spread into your life. The question is not, will the seed be spread when this book is opened and when the gospel is preached? The question is, what kind of dirt will it find in your life? Sometimes the word goes out and it lands in your heart and it lands on the path. And before you even hear, before you let it take root, it's taken away. Jesus said to his disciples, sometimes it lands on rocky ground. People get excited very quickly. Have you ever seen this happen in someone's life? They, they go to church, they're very excited about Jesus and everything, but then trial and temptation comes, and, and there's no root to hold the faith, and so it withers and dies, and then he says that some of it is is it falls in the good dirt, but the thorns and thistles, the cares of this world, they come alongside and they choke it out. But he said some of the seed, the word of God, falls into good soil and it grows and it bears fruit. I love this; it bears fruit with patience, meaning Jesus is saying over time, the word that it is planted deep in your life and grows begins to deliver fruit over and over again. And that's what I want in my life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, my guess is that's what you want in your life. So the question is not, is the seed going out? The question for you and for me out of that parable in our lives is when the seed goes out, it comes into your ears and lands in your heart, what kind of dirt is it finding? And what kind of dirt is that good dirt? If you're going to be good dirt... If I'm going to be good dirt, then we need to have the kind of faith that God calls us to have. What is that faith? What is the faith that Jesus finds amazing? What is the faith that God finds amazing? What does that look like? We're going to see it here in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read half of the text. We'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll read the other half together. But let's go here. Luke chapter 7. Verse 1, this is what Luke writes. After Jesus had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he'd just finished a sermon, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. This is a pretty remarkable interaction that Jesus has with these Jewish religious leaders, these elders. And it's remarkable for a couple of reasons, but one is, It would be incredibly unusual, highly unusual, that Jewish religious leaders would have such a relationship with a commander in the Roman army, this centurion is a Roman officer in the army, that the Jewish religious leaders, these elders, would come to Jesus on behalf of this military man and plead his case to Jesus. That is incredibly unusual. Because think about the dynamics of what are, what's happening here in the first century world. Rome is the evil empire. Rome are the imperialists. They have come in. They are taking over the known world. They are treating people poorly. They are taxing the people unreasonable. The Jewish people, they're afraid that this empire is going to continue to grow and continue to dominate their lives. There might be a death star involved at some point. I mean, these are the bad people. And the Jewish people, they're part of the resistance. They're holding on to their faith. They're holding on to their culture. And here you have some Jewish religious leaders in such a relationship with a Roman military official that they are amazed by him. They come to Jesus and they say this. They say, Jesus, if anyone is worthy of you doing something good on their behalf, it is this guy. He is amazing. And let us tell you why he's amazing. He is a centurion in the Roman army. That means he has about hundred soldiers who are underneath him. This is a this is a post of some significance within the army. He is an officer in the army, Jesus. But get this: not only he's an officer in the army, but he loves our people. I mean, really loves our people. You wouldn't think that's possible being in the Roman army, but he loves our people. He cares for us. I mean, he even, we had a capital campaign. We needed a new church. He built our synagogue. Jesus, if anyone is worthy... To have you do something for him, this man is worthy. And there's other clues in the text that point us to the fact that the centurion is an unusual character. The text tells us that he has a servant who is sick, who is highly valued. It would be quite unusual in the ancient Roman world that someone with servants would have a servant that they highly valued. That's unusual. Most of what we know from that culture and that time period is servants are disposable. One servant gets sick, you get a new servant. But for some reason, this centurion had a character where he cared enough about his servant, and he was so highly valued that here he was willing to plead on his servant's a half. And the Jewish religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we've been watching you. You keep, for some reason, we don't understand, you keep going to all these tax collectors and all these Gentiles and all these unworthy people and all these messed up people. And you keep doing nice stuff for them. We're not really sure why you keep doing that. It's kind of making us angry a little bit. We're trying to get ticked off about that. But here is someone that's finally worthy. Here's a guy you should be working for, Jesus. And the Jewish elders come to Jesus and they're basically saying, Jesus, we are amazed by this guy and you should be amazed by this guy. And here's what the elders reveal in the way that they approach God. They reveal something that for you and for me, it is so easy for us to approach God in the exact same way. It is really easy, if you and I aren't careful, it is really easy to fall into the mindset that believes that God is amazed by those who have authority and who assert their own authority. That that's what really amazes God. That if you really want God to act, if you really want God to move, the way to do that is to position yourself and work hard enough and be such a person That you are then worthy of God acting on your behalf. It's exactly how the Jewish religious leaders viewed this situation. That is exactly the thing and the mindset that is so easy for us to fall into. We think that's how it should work. That the people who are most deserving should get rewarded. Isn't that how promotion should work at work? Isn't that how awards should work? We're about to watch the Olympics. And in the Olympics, there will be people that will, will run and they'll be judged and they'll shoot at targets. They'll swim. And after everything takes place, there'll be awards. And one of the things that's kind of nice is that we just know who deserves them. It's the person that swam the fastest, it's the person that hit the target, and it's usually a person that has given up everything else in their life for this moment. They are deserving of this moment. They have given up everything, they put everything aside, they showed up to the track when everyone else was sleeping, they, they showed up to the pool when everyone else was sleeping, they put in the hard work, they did the effort, they got their mind right, and so they went, and when they get the award for their work, it's deserved, and that's how we think it should work and we take all of that that's in our world and in our life and we bring it into our relationship with God and we think to ourselves if I want God to move if I want God to act if I want God to give me the things that I think I deserve then I have to position myself in such a way that I become worthy then I impress God enough so that I'm in an authority and he begins to act on my behalf who do the elders think is an authority here in this situation They don't think Jesus is an authority. They think he has power. They think he can heal. But they think they're an authority. Jesus, we've got the guy for you. He's worthy. You should go work for him. And it's so easy for us to slip into that. In fact, all of us know people who have walked away from the faith because of this mindset. Because they did everything they were supposed to do. They followed all the rules as best they were able. And they thought that was the deal. And pastors have preached that is the deal. No, you do all these things. You say the right things. You show up every week. You turn on that stream every week. Then God will do this and this and this and this in your life. And so you did it. And God didn't do it. And you got so frustrated that some of you walked away and some of you right now, you're on the edge of that. We've got to be careful of this mindset. Jesus is not amazed by how great of a person the centurion is. He is amazed by the centurion, though. It's just for a totally different reason. Look at verse 6. When Jesus was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, listen to what Jesus does. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Or if you're looking at a different translation of the text right now, when Jesus heard these things, your text may say that he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. What a comment. You get that comment? Jesus, a Jewish man himself, coming as the Messiah to God's chosen people, is looking back at God's chosen people and pointing to the Gentile and saying, I haven't found faith like this Anywhere around here. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. There is a remarkable difference between remarkable difference between how the Jewish elders approach Jesus and how the centurion approaches Jesus. The elders come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we're, we're in charge here. We're the religious leaders and we think you should go work for this guy. He's worthy of having you do some work for him. The centurion looks at himself, looks at Jesus, sends messengers, not because he doesn't have time for Jesus, but because he looks at himself and he's like, I'm, I don't think I'm even worthy to be in this guy's presence. says, Jesus, I get it. I get it. Um, I'm a man. I I have a hundred soldiers underneath me. But I also have officers over me and I get it. Sometimes I get to tell people what to do, but often I have to listen to the authority above me. And Jesus, you're the authority above me. And I'm not worthy to have any of you do this to me. But here's what I know. I know that all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm not worthy of it. I don't expect it. I get the whole situation. You're more powerful than I am. You have authority that I don't have, but I know that you are able to do it. And so I'm just asking you if you... And Jesus turns and is amazed, not because this is a Roman official, not because this is a man who likes his servants, not because he built the church in Capernaum or the synagogue in Capernaum. God is amazed by the faith of a person in authority who knows and lives and comes under his authority. God is amazed. Jesus, in this passage, is amazed by the person who is in authority, who is humble enough, and knows when to come under his authority. The Jewish elders were amazed by the centurion. The centurion was amazed by Jesus. Jesus was amazed. At the faith and the humility of being willing to come under his authority. See, you and I have so many moments in our walk with God and in our relationship with God. So many individual moments where we have to make this decision. Will we assert our own authority or will we come under His authority? Moment after moment after moment throughout our relationship with Him. And even those of you who are sitting here this morning who are watching online and you do not call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ, you are not Christians. It's the same question. The same question exists. In your life, will you continue to assert your authority or try to assert your authority over God or will you at some point come under his authority? If your desire is to see God move and work in your life, then at some point you're going to have to stop trying to live a life that impresses him so much that he does what you want him to do and come before him and say, God, whatever you want is what I want. And you may be sitting here saying, well, I don't think this applies to me because I'm not really a person in authority. I don't have a lot of authority. I don't have a hundred soldiers working for me. No, you are a person in authority. You have all sorts of authority over your life and how you will live and what you will choose to do. I remember growing up as a kid, there were all these moments in my relationship between me and my parents Where I had my will and what I wanted to do, and then they had theirs and what they wanted me to do. And there were all these little moments where it was like this giant question. Would this be a moment where I, as the child, would try to assert my own authority or where I would come under their authority? And now, as a parent, I experience it the exact opposite direction. And so I'll take a milk cup and I'll set it on my toddler's high chair, and she'll grab that cup. And she'll immediately bring her arm back. And I'll look at her and I'll say, don't you dare. Don't you dare. And then we stand there. We stand there like it's the old west. And she has her milk cup up like this. And I'm pointing at her, don't you dare throw that cup. And all these little moments of of will she assert her own authority in this situation or will she come under our authority? I got to be honest with you, nine out of ten times, I better catch that cup because it's coming across the room. (laughs) But every one out of ten times, when we're in this place and my child says to me, okay, dad, I'll do anything for them in that moment. And we have all sorts of times in our lives where God comes to us and says, I want relationship with you, but it's going to require that you repent of your sin, you stop living your way, you acknowledge my lordship and authority in your life, and you give me control. And you gotta make a decision. You're going to assert your authority in that moment. Or you're going to come under His. And you go into having relationships, and dating, and the idea of marriage and family. And you have all sorts of things that you want to do and you think are right. And God comes to you and says, I have a plan, I have a way of going about this. And you have to make a decision. You're going to assert your authority in that moment. Or are you going to come under His? The same thing happens with your finances. The same thing happens as you decide on education and building a career, and you go out and try to do everything that you want to do to achieve your idea of success. And God says, listen, are you going to take a look at the gifts I've given you and what I am calling you to do in your life and where I'm calling you to use those gifts? And you have to make this, this determination. Are you going to continue to assert your authority and, try, and hope that God is going to come along and just give you what you want along the way? Or are you going to come under His authority and trust that his plan is better for you. If your desire is to see God move and work in your life, you're going to have to make a shift from trying to live a life that is so impressive and so worthy that God starts to do what you want him to do and start to come under his authority in your life and say, okay, God, I will do it your way and trust that your way is best. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as we close out our time together. You know, if we, if we turn back towards the left in your Bible, you would find all sorts of stories in the Old Testament where there's this milk cup throwing moment between God and an individual where there's this big question, will the person assert their own authority or will they come under his authority? For me, the one that really comes to mind in this moment is the story. It's in Second Kings chapter 5, happened hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was on this earth, but it's the story of another military official named Naaman. Some of you might not recognize that name. You've heard the story before, but my guess is for many of you, it's an unfamiliar story. So let me tell it to you quickly. Naaman was the head, not just a centurion, the top official in the armies for the king of Syria. And just like Rome was in charge in Jesus' day back in that day, Syria was in charge. He was the top military official, had conquered the whole region for the nation of Syria. But we learn something in the text that despite all of his achievement, this man had a big problem. And that was, he was a leper. He had a skin disease. It didn't matter how many wars he won. This skin disease was going to kill him. There was this servant girl that worked for his wife. And she said, I know of a prophet among my people in Israel who works for God and might be able to heal you. And so Naaman goes to see the prophet Elisha. And Elisha says to Naaman, Naaman, God will heal you. All you need to do is just go down to the Jordan River and dip yourselves seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman hears that and he is disgusted because the Jordan River is not a river that you go into to get clean. In fact, once you go into the Jordan River, you have to go somewhere else to get clean. The Jordan River is murky and muddy and dirty. And so here he is with this terrible skin disease that's eating away his flesh and now the prophet tells him he's supposed to go into the dirtiest river and Naaman says it like this he says honestly I thought I was coming here and that this guy was going to say the name of his God and wave his hands and that it would be gone that's what he says in the text I thought that's what would happen that's why I came I thought he'd say the name of his God wave his hands like David Copperfield it would just be gone and he said, why didn't he pick one of the rivers in Damascus, still the capital of Syria today? Why didn't he pick one of the rivers in Damascus? They are clean. You can see the fish swimming in them. And his servants pleaded with him, "Naaman, this is this is the guy they told us speaks for God." And there was this moment. Would he assert his own authority or come under God's authority? And Naaman goes into the river and he dips seven times. And he walks out clean. Some of you know what that feels like. Because for so long in your life, you were asserting your own authority and living your own way. And then you came under the authority of God in your life, repented of your sin, stepped into that place and you walked out clean. of you right now this morning, you are in this battle, in this moment. And the big question is, as you decide on your relationships and your finances and your career and what you're going to even do today and your own moral framework of how you're going to live your life, there's this giant question, will you assert your own authority in this moment or will you come under his authority? I can promise you if your desire is to have faith that pleases God. If your desire is to see God move in your life, then live as a person in authority who's under his authority. God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to open up your word and to hear your voice. God, we are taught so much in our world that if we want good things that we have to achieve, we have to succeed, we have to pursue. And God, I confess to you that we bring that into our relationship with you. God, we continue to assert our own authority and expect that you will fall in line and do what we want you to do. And God, this morning we come before you and we repent of that heart. We repent of that attitude. And God, we ask that you will make us the kind of people of faith who know when to move in authority and when to come under your authority to listen to your voice more than any of the other voices in our lives and to trust you. And all you say to do thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. So we will trust you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's close out our time together.